Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And as you're turning there, let me ask you this question. I wonder, are there any traditions that you could not imagine Christmas without? So perhaps it's the Christmas tree. Could you imagine Christmas without Christmas trees? Yeah. Perhaps it's turkey. Could you imagine Christmas without turkey? No. (laughs) Christmas pudding, Christmas stocking, presents. For me, it would be Christmas carols. What a tragedy Christmas would be without songs to celebrate the first coming of Christ. And thankfully that's not the case. Every Christmas we sing our carols as we gather to celebrate Christ's first coming. And the reason I could not imagine Christmas without carols is because they've always been part of the Christmas celebration. Before Christ was born, Mary sang the very first carol in praise to Christ's coming. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, we have two Christmas carols. We have Mary's song, and next week we'll look at Zechariah's song. And both of these songs are amazing, filled with the rich truth of who God is and what God has come to do, and they celebrate his love for this world. If you were here this morning, we left off with Mary at Elizabeth's home. Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Elizabeth filled with the Spirit and John inside of her jumped for joy at the arrival of Mary because in her stomach was the unborn Son of God. It was on Christmas Day 1864 that Charles Spurgeon began his sermon on Mary's song with these words. Mary was on a visit when she expressed her joy in the language of this noble song. Oh, if all our social intercourse were as useful to our hearts as this visit was to Mary. For Mary was full of faith. And she goes to see Elizabeth, who was full of holy confidence. And the two are not long together before their faith mounts to full assurance. And their full assurance bursts forth into a torrent of sacred praise. This praise aroused their slumbering powers. And instead of two ordinary village women, we see before us two prophetesses, two poetesses, upon whom the Spirit of God abundantly rested. And this is the introduction of a sermon, and here's his application straight off the bat. When we meet with our kinsfolk and our Christian acquaintances, let it be our prayer to God that our communion may be not only pleasant, but profitable that we may not merely pass away time and spend a pleasant hour, but may advance a day's march nearer to heaven and acquire greater fitness for our eternal rest. Mary in Elizabeth's company and fellowship is led to sing this song of praise for the one that she was about to give birth to. Now, if you've ever studied this song, it, it will feel familiar. Because there's much of what is said in this song that was said in an Old Testament song, sang by another woman, Hannah. 
First Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Hannah, who couldn't have a child, falls pregnant with her son Samuel. And in response to what God had done for her, she celebrated God's goodness by singing. Now we're going to work our way through this song under three simple headings. Verses 48 to 49, Mary's benefit. Verses 50 to 53, the world of it. And then verses 54 and 55, Israel's benefit. Mary sings this song because she's very conscious of how Jesus' coming into this world was to her personal benefit. Look at verses 46 and 47 with me. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Here Mary bursts into song because she is overcome by the fact that through her, the Messiah, the Son of God, will be born. Now if you look closely at verses 46 and 47, you might be tempted to think Mary's just repeating herself. And she is. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. She's doing what all Hebrew people love to do. It's called a Hebrew parallelism. You say the same thing in a slightly different way to make the one big point. Mary is overcome with praise and glory for her God. In our poetry, we we rhyme to make emphasis. Fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. That's why they call me Andrew Longwee, right? In Hebrew poetry, they repeat the same thing. My soul, my spirit magnifies, rejoices to say, I am totally overcome by praise with God. She's captivated by what God has promised her. And so she does not respond with cold and calculated praise. No, she responds with heartfelt praise from the inner chamber of her being. She says, my soul magnifies my Lord. That is, her soul makes the most of who he is. Her spirit rejoices in our God. That is, she is filled with joy in her inner being with what God has said to her. But notice, if in verse 46 she says, my my soul magnifies the Lord. In verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, in the Roman Catholic tradition, they they, they teach a doctrine called the Immaculate Conception. That is, Mary, not just Jesus, was born in a miraculous way. And they say that Mary was born in a miraculous way, so sinless, because ultimately they revere her as the mother of God and one who can mediate between the people of God and God himself. So they pray to Mary. They say, Hail Mary, full of grace. But in the Protestant tradition, we do not believe Mary was born sinless. And one of the proofs for that is this very verse. She calls God her saviour. She was a sinner herself in need of saving. She rejoices that the one to whom she will give birth to will save her from her sins. 
There is no one sinless apart from the Lord Jesus Christ who was born with a miraculous, through a miraculous means, but not so with Mary. And Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. She understood that the child that she was carrying was to her own benefit, was going to be a great blessing to her. Now, now look, look, continue with me as she ponders what God has done for her. He, she says in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. In the original, that word servant can also be translated slave. And, and many people in the first century were slaves or were in the employment of a master. Mary reflects on who she is and she's blown away by the fact that She's a humble, peasant, Palestinian girl. But God has taken notice of her. The ruler of the universe was mindful of her. And he's chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. She can't get over it. God chose me. In her humble estate from Nazareth, in her humble position perhaps as a servant and she was blown away now this morning we sang from psalm 139 and that's a psalm that mary would have known well and it says in that psalm god's thoughts of us are just far too marvelous for our minds to comprehend it says in that psalm that all the days of our life are written in his book all our days are ordained by him As Mary pondered the fact that God chose her, one thing that she had to reckon with was God planned and purposed that in the fullness of time when the Savior was to be born, she would be the one. She would be the one in whom Christ would come into this world. She would be the one in whom Jesus would depend upon, who would suckle in her breast, she would be the one who raised and nurtured and fed and taught and played with God. And Mary is in awe. She's lost in wonder and praise. You know, when we try and think God's thoughts after him, it's mind-blowing and it's mind-boggling. That before the foundation of the earth, God has set his plans and his purposes. He's ordained all of the days of our life. And as Christians tonight, it is mind-blowing, truly mind-blowing, that those of us who are here this evening, he chose us to be his children. He purposed us to be his own. You know, there's a carol we sing every Christmas, and it says, Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. In eternity past, the second person of the Trinity knew that his humiliation would be so great that he would find home in the womb of a peasant from Palestine. As Mary gives praise as God's humble servant, don't miss this. She's worshipping a humble God. A creator, 
who would become like one of his creatures for his creature's sake. That is truly mind-blowing. And so it's no wonder then that Mary goes on in verse 48 and says, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's the mother of the Messiah. She's the mother of God. How, how blessed was she to receive this great privilege? Now let's be clear as we read this verse. There's, there's two things that happen, right? We as Protestants, we don't struggle with the fact that we are not to worship Mary. But you know what we do struggle with? And it it really dawned on me when I was preparing the sermon. We probably do not give her much recognition in fear that we might worship her. But she is blessed. As Elizabeth said to her, and as she recognized herself as she sang this song. But as blessed as she was, let me just, let me just show you that she was so clear and so aware that it was not her that was to receive any praise. Look at what she says next. For he who is mighty has done great for things for me and holy is his name. You ever wonder, why does she say and holy is his name? Because all of God's people in the Old Testament, whenever they called God holy, they were saying, God is set apart. He's in a category all of his own. He is exalted. He is unique. There is none like him. And Mary here saying, I know I'm blessed. He's done great things for me. Marvelous things for me. He alone, the exalted one, the set apart one, is worthy of all praise and glory. I love this song because it begins with Mary standing before God and acknowledging that she is a needy sinner with a glorious Savior. And church, that's who we need to recognize we are before this glory, glorious and holy God. We are needy sinners in the presence of a glorious Savior. And if you are a Christian tonight, he chose you before he laid the foundations of the earth. He planned in purpose that he would make his home with you and you would be his forevermore. And if you're not a Christian tonight, you're here for a reason. This day was written in his book. The sovereign God knew you would be here tonight. And the call and the summons goes forth. Come. Come and believe in the Savior of sinners. Have your sins forgiven and begin relationship with Almighty God. So the first part of this song is about all the things that are to Mary's benefit. But as Mary continues, the next stanza moves from Mary singing about God's dealings with her to God's dealings with this world. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The word mercy here is literally, it's hesed, if you like. It's, it's God's covenant love. God has been faithful in his love towards his people from generation to generation. But mercy has also got that sense that God gives us what we do not deserve. And Mary's poetic way is saying God has given this world what they do not deserve. This world deserves God's judgment, God's punishment, the penalty for sin. But God has...
has given his people what they don't deserve. Salvation in his son. Forgiveness. Redemption. You know, the striking thing is Mary sat in Elizabeth's living room. She looked behind. She looked back, as it were, to the previous generations. And she looked forward to the generations were to come. And she recognized that the baby in her womb was the cause of all receiving God's mercy. Jesus' coming into this world was for the world's benefit. Now look at what she goes on and says. He has shown strength with his arm. So when you think of the might and the power of God, the metaphor that always comes across in Scripture is the power of God's arm. It was by his arm he led the people through uh, the Red Sea. It was by his arm he led them through the wilderness. It is at the right hand of God that Christ is seated, the, pl- the place and the position of power. Now, I want you to see the power of God that Mary thinks upon as she thinks about the benefit and the blessing this boy in her womb will bring to this world. She says, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This teenage girl was sitting in a living room. She was not a political analyst. She wasn't a political pundit. But you know what she got about Jesus? He came into this world to turn everything on its head. You see, the mighty and the powerful, Mary recognized, would be threatened by Jesus. Herod. He would kill every baby boy in Bethlehem under the age of two. And Mary knew that the reason why is because he, her son, scattered the proud in their hearts, the thoughts of the proud in their hearts. Jesus came into this world and he humbled the exalted. And by choosing Mary, he exalted the humble. In fact, his entire life story, he cares for the poor, the beggar, those in bondage, those suffering, those sick. He humbles, he exalts the humble. And he humbles the exalted. He topples the mighty from their throne. And and you know the application of this part of her song for us? Is you and I need to reverse our ambitions. You see, if you want to succeed in God's kingdom, if you want to know greatness in God's world, It's not go out and be assertive. Stand up for your own rights. Blow your own horn. Pat yourself in the back. No, it's seek humility, not glory. Labor for the Lord, not for yourself. Stop caring who gets the credit and give without expecting to get anything in return. The way up in the kingdom of God is the way down. The proud will be humbled. The humble will be exalted. In fact, there's a promise in the Old Testament. And I think it came perfectly. God said, he will look favorably on this person. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. 
And you read this song, that's Mary. Humble, contrite. And she trembles at God's word. Now Mary's insight into just how Jesus is going to benefit and blessing to this world continues because she says in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. Now you need to see this illustration. She says something that Jesus will grow up to say that he's come not for the healthy, but for the sick. Jesus has come not for those who are satisfied, but those who know that they're hungry. He satisfied the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty. In other words, God comes for people who know of their need of him, not those who think of themselves as self-sufficient. Jesus is for people who feel their emptiness, who know that they're nobodies. He delights to show mercy to those who don't deserve it. He chooses the lowly over the proud, the hungry over the satisfied. The amazing thing about Jesus is he's on the side of those not who think the the world of themselves, but those who think nothing of themselves. Listen to how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians. God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise. God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. What I love about Mary is that she boasts in God's presence because she realized that she was a nobody, nothing. And it shamed the proud and the wise. So if Mary sings this song and it's to her benefit and her blessing and it's to the world's benefit and blessing, she is so aware that God's plan of redemption was ultimately to her people's blessing, Israel. Look at how the the song ends. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. One of the things that Mary, who who pondered God's word so deeply, who knew God's word inside, she knew that God was a God of covenant, a God who made promises and a God who kept promises. And as she is now aware that the Messiah is within her, she's so aware that God is rescuing his people. He's remembered them in mercy, just as he had said. When he spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. God is a promise making and a promise keeping God. He says what he means and he means what he says. And so Mary praises God for his mercy. His kindness to those who were in misery. I just love Christmas. Because it's a season where we're given songs to sing God's praise. What would Christmas be without Christmas carols? But you know the striking thing about this song? It ends so abruptly. Like, it feels like there should be more. And there should be more. And there is more. You see, 
Mary all her life long praised her Saviour. She sang new songs time and time again. No doubt in her heart, in her mind, in her head. With Jesus in the home. When Jesus wasn't in the home. Because God's people sing God's praises because of who God is and what he's done. And there is no doubt that Mary sang his praises. In church, because the song ends abruptly, it's an invitation for you and I this Christmas. To keep the tradition of singing carols. To sing God's praises for coming into this world. For being faithful to his promises. You see, a carol is just a new song to the Lord for the wonders that he has done. May the Lord put in our mouths and in our hearts a song of praise to him. I don't know about you, but you know what Christmas does to me this season? Makes me grumble. Like, I complain about the busyness of life. Well, all, all the while busying myself with all the things that Christmas brings. What if I could just come apart and rejoice? And just rest in what Jesus has done? Sometimes you can go through this Christmas season and you can just live up to other people's expectations. All the while failing to remember what God thinks of you. Christmas makes clear that God loves his people with an everlasting love. You know, sometimes at Christmas it's it's so easy to compare yourself with others, to see that they have so much more and you have so little, or to think, I want to do better than some other people. Well, that's the thing with the ways of this world. Mary's song reminds us we're not invited, we're invited to a better way, to God's kingdom way. What if God has chosen us of humble estate because he wants to humble the proud and exalt the humble? The fact that I love Christmas carols, and I hope you do too, is is to remind us as we studied Mary's song that the best way we can prepare for Christmas is to sing with all of our being, for all that he's done in his son. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much that you've made us a people who sing. As we sang a few moments ago, we wish we had a thousand tongues to sing your praises. We wish that we could sing the Redeemer's praise all day long, the triumphs of his grace, the glories of our King. God, we sometimes we sing, we sing so pathetically, and so we need you to assist us as we proclaim and try and spread through all they are, the honors of your son's name. We thank you that tonight we've been reminded that Jesus' name is a name that charms our fears and bids our sorrow cease. His name is music to our ears, because he's the one who brought life, health, and peace. He broke our sin. He set us free. And as a blood availed for me. And so God, hear us then as we conclude our time and as we respond by singing to you in praise. And even this week, would you loosen our tongue? Not to grumble or complain, but to sing passionately and loudly as we ponder your works of old. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.